This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. So we're talking about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. So let's we take are. a closer look. Yeah, so this is the next I am statement of Jesus, and it's in John 14, and it is... I guess to say it the best way, it's really a loaded statement mm. because it's one I am statement, but it's got three parts in the actual I am statement and the context around it is really revealing. Yeah. So the first thing that I want to talk about, because I know I'm not going to get a chance to talk about it in the story, is actually the context around this statement. Okay, so I'm going to skip. The conversation he's having is actually one about his relationship with the Father. And I'm going to skip past the I am statement. And I'm going to skip to the verse 10. Jesus says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. You know how I always say that I'm pretty given over to Karl Barth Mm -hmm. and that the ultimate revelation of God is found in the person of Jesus? It's because of statements like this. Why why do I let Jesus trump other parts of the scriptural narrative? Because of statements like this. Mm. Because if there's one thing I'm confident of, in if we're honest with ourselves, in a faith construct that's this book is written literally across thousands and thousands of years. Yeah with different cultural perspectives, different interactions with the Father, different understandings of the divine. There's a lot of things I'm unsure about if I only go by this book. Mm. One thing that I'm confident of, I have zero doubts of, is the person of Jesus. Mm. And everything that looks like and everything that encapsulates meaning... I have no fear in saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, it's it's Jesus. And it he even is the point. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the whole deal. I think he is what the narrative is setting you up for, foreshadowing to, mm-hmm. and currently hoping for the fulfillment of. Yeah. Because his Jesus' story is not over. No. Right? That's the deal. I think we have we have bad Christians because we've taught poor theology. Yeah. The cross is not the end of the Christian faith. No. In fact, actually, if the cross is the end, we actually have a really stupid faith. <laughs> yeah. How can somebody that's dead offer you life? Yeah. And in the same part, how can a guy that's preaching 
redemption, restoration, actually continue to do that? And how can we believe in that promise if there's no hope of him coming Mm. and restoring all the brokenness in the world? Yeah. The connection between Jesus and the Father is... Direct. Well, and it's the most important thing we have. Yeah. We must view everything through the lens of Jesus. He must be the litmus test. And here's why. Because in verse 12... Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Mm. And then he says, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 5 sets it up that Jesus does nothing that the Father doesn't will. Well, here in chapter 14, we get this intimate connection with the Father magnified again. But this one, it's that we're the same. Mm. What you see me doing is the will of my Father. But hey, by the way, what I have planned for you, what I have the availability to distribute to you, you're going to do greater things than me because you are also now a part of the father's work. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, and I'm just going to be really honest and vulnerable about this. That verse, verse 12, um, has been very important in my faith recently. Hmm. It's just, it reminds me as we're in this kind of turning point with Wellhouse about a year in, right? And things are happening and we're growing and like, it's, it's beautiful that like reminding myself Mm. that I will do greater things than Jesus did. And it gives me hope. Yeah. It gives me comfort and it gives me peace that this is God's will. You know what I mean? Well, and isn't it It's a statement as much as it is a statement of power, it's a statement of care and grace. Yeah, that, it's also a statement of relinquishment. Well, yeah. But it's all of those things because it's Jesus saying, "Hey, I know the pain and trauma that you've experienced." Yeah. I know the things that you have in your life that you're trying to wrestle with, but hey, those things, that pain, it doesn't disqualify you from Mm. being a part of this miraculous restorative work that we're all doing together. Yeah. A journey of healing and wholeness that we're all on. Yeah. And we are on that journey because of Jesus. It's that setup, that construct through which you need to view Jesus' statement here. And this is what he says. Jesus said to him, this is verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So theologically, knowing Jesus and looking at Jesus is to know the Father and to see the Father. Mm. 
Isn't that very reminiscent of Genesis 2? Yeah. Walking with God, knowing God, knowing the divine, experiencing the divine, seeing the divine. Well, isn't isn't this kind of where we get the idea that God, that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God? It is. Right? This is not the only place. This is the yes. only place, but this is one of those mm-hmm. that like we see that God the Father, God the Son, and Jesus are kind of like all intertwined, right? God the Son is the Trinitarian piece, but Jesus is the embodiment of that, right? Um, um, is, is that, am I explaining that correctly? It's hard to explain, honestly. What you're saying, I know you don't mean to be heretical. Yeah. That's not mine. I'm trying to figure out a way to frame it. What you said, possibly heretical. Okay. Um, at least in the year 300 okay. at Nicaea and those kinds of things. What you really should be saying is that God the Son, the existence of the sonship of the divine is preexistent. It has no beginning. Right. That peace of God experience of God comes and takes on flesh mm-hmm. in the person of Jesus, making him homoousia, the same nature, the same existence, same being as God, but in the form of flesh. So a hundred percent man and 100% God. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I guess that's what I was trying to say. It is what you I, were I trying just, to I say. I did not know how to frame it. Well, you just don't know the fancy words. Yeah, I don't know yeah, the that's, fancy words. That's the, you don't know don't the fancy know the words Greek. to build uh, the construct. Yeah, um, but yes. And that, fundamentally, if God himself is good, mm-hmm. if God the Father is good, and God the Son is connected directly to mm-hmm. God the Father, therefore God the Son is also good. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, the way, the truth, and the life. When here's, right? yes, yes, 100%. And along those same lines, what do I always say about the biblical narrative? That we were given a story, and a good story always has the epitome envisioned. Something happens where the epitome is no longer available or isn't available. And so now you have tension, you have a conflict of which the rest of the story must resolve that conflict. Mm. Jesus is the climax of that resolution. Yeah. This is, and that's why I'm highlighting the Genesis similarities because that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is letting you know like, hey, I'm righting all the wrongs. Mm. Yeah. And so then now let's real with all of that set up, let's look specifically at the I am statement. Knowing who Jesus is, what he thinks his relationship to the divine is, to the Father, to the Creator, and what he's offering to us in that. He offers these three statements in this, these three categories in this I am statement. He says, I'm the way. Greek word is odos. 
way, road, path, something like that. I am the means of getting there. Yeah. So in the story, if we're trying to get back to Genesis 1, this, this amazing, beautiful, harmonious, tranquilic experience of the divine. Jesus is the way to get there. Jesus is the roadmap to getting there. Mm. He's Love the that. he's the path. He's the way. He's how we get back to bliss. Love that. And he's the truth. So many of these I am statements have been used in a setting where it's it's put in contrast to death, deception, corruption, all of those types of things. And in the same way, remember, we don't have this as much in our modern world, but in the ancient world, a lot of people would stand up and say, I'm the Messiah. Yeah. A lot of people in an enchanted world... It's the deal. You all heard me talk about this quite a bit, but we live in a disenchanted world. We're given over to the enlightenment and modernity. We want to prove everything through science and reason. Yeah. Ancient world's not like that. They prove everything through experience. And so if your experience is one of divine, you are living in an enchanted world. Yeah. Everything's spiritual. So there's lots of people that pop up and like, I'm Messiah. I'm this. I'm this. I have salvation to offer you. I, I can do this. Lots of philosophical schools and all these different ways of people trying to figure out how to encounter divine. Yeah. Jesus says, I'm the truth. Like all those other ones, they're not it. It's mm. me. The story, the experience of divine that you're trying to get back to. 100% fellowship with the Father, with Creator, with divine in creation, in harmony with creation, experiencing divine bliss. Yeah. What I tell you about that experience is true. Mm. It's how you get back there. I'm the way and the truth. And hey, that way and that truth, that beginning part of that story, it's life. Mm. I know it's hard to see because we didn't live that. But what you can do is you can look around and go, yeah, I see a lot of death. Yeah. Um, I'm looking in my backyard right now. Look across the creek bed, Clayton. Uh, how much dead grass do you see? About a third. Yeah, about a third of the vegetation and plants that we can see are dead. Yeah. Tragedy in Afghanistan right now. Mm. School shootings, suicide rates, yeah. pain of individuals, divorce, trauma, Child abuse, exploitation of individuals. The list goes on and on and on of death and corruption in the world. And, you know, th this is something um, I'm going to talk about this tomorrow a little bit on, on Let's Talk um, about how 
hard my week has been. And a part of the reason my week has been so hard is because I started actually um, being in person at my field placement. Mm. Um, And if you don't know, I'm working um, at Lighthouse for the Betterment of Life. Um, And it's a residential treatment center for uh, adolescent males. Mm. And what I did last week and, and some of what I did this week was this week I interacted more with the guys, but last week I really kind of dove into like their, their applications for placement. And dude, let me tell you, these guys are coming from tough, tough situations. Yeah. Experiencing death and corruption in their everyday life. And it, it, at times, and, and I've heard some of them say this, and um, it almost feels like it's clinging to them. Yeah. And follows them where they go. Yeah. Um, it's everywhere. And it's affecting people's lives. Well, and that's the deal. Go back to the narrative, right? So in Genesis 3, at the fall, when sin and death and corruption and all these things that break harmony... Yeah. When they enter the world, God distributes four curses, four mm. things that are going to happen yep. because sin. sin has entered the world. The woman will now bear children in pain. Yep. That she will have an experience of pain. That the serpent himself will be cursed that he won't walk upright anymore, he'll crawl on his belly, and that he himself, the serpent, will come to an end in the eschaton. Yeah. That the man will have to work the ground, that it will be laborious, that it will be difficult. Yeah. And then fourth, that the earth itself will now bear forth thorns and thistles. Meaning the earth is now corrupted. Every part of existence has been corrupted by bringing sin into harmony. Yeah. And so the way you should view that is Genesis 1 and 2, what you have is you have an experience of life and life abundant. Yeah, You have intimate relationships, you have harmony in creation, you have no pain, and you have fellowship with the divine in a very intimate way. Yeah, That's telos. That's the end goal of our life as Christians, our experience in the world, and what we should be aiming for. Sin injects a new element into this that breaks that harmony. And what happens is it doesn't just break it. It doesn't, it's not like now we've just poked a hole in a balloon. I mean, I'm sorry. It's it's not like we just drilled a hole in a piece of wood that the wood still exists. What's happened is we've taken a needle and we've poked a hole in a balloon. We've popped it. We've destroyed it. And what's been replaced is an experience of death. Hmm. And everything we know in our existence, everything we see around us is death. 
except when we encounter divine life. Mm. Then we can look at creation and go, yeah, I see a third of death, but I see some beautiful vegetation. I see some ivy on my fence. I see luscious green grass. I see the leaves moving in the wind as a reminder of the grace of God. I can look around and see experiences of life because through Jesus, I've met divine. I can see the hand of the divine because I went through the way of Jesus. I believe the truth of Jesus and I've experienced the life of the divine because of Jesus. All of Jesus set up here. And remember, this is also the I am statement immediately following Jesus's narrative of resuscitating Lazarus. Yeah. He is the resurrection and the life that he's conquering death. Yeah. You can't miss that. Now what he's telling you is not only did he conquer death, but in conquering death, he's restoring all things and giving you listener you a way that when you receive divine, when you experience divine, you now have a way to live Mm. divine. You now have a way to not just know that there's life outside of death, but that you yourself have been entrusted to do the work of bringing life. Mm. That's the second half. That's verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these. The charge is that when you experience divine life, you give divine life Hmm. through your works. You do things because you've experienced divine life that bring about divine life in very real, intangible ways for those that you come in contact with. Divine life no longer... When you put divine life through the lens of experiencing it through the person of Jesus, the ultimate revelation of the divine, divine life is no longer a myth. Divine life is a way of existence. Mm.